remind you that it is available online uh, in your weekly email as well as on our SoundCloud. We'll tweet out the links and uh, Facebook out the links so you can find it and uh, you can listen to it and get yourself caught up. But we're looking at four over the, uh, going up to October 18th, we're taking a break for Thanksgiving. We're looking at four different cultural beliefs about God and then we're going to look at what God actually said. So it's going to be a great time. Uh, next week is um, it doesn't matter what I do. So that's going to be just riveting and exciting. So uh, the problem is God, God didn't say that. So we're going to jump right into it. Now, uh, we've got uh, a pastor, Pastor Dick Iverson. He's one of like my heroes of the faith. We had him with us a year or so ago. And um, he always has this saying. And, and he, every time he said it, I'm like, okay, I, I think that's pretty much true. But I think I just want to share it with you. And his, his thought is that if we were to take a quick survey of this room, we've got sheets coming out, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, you're waiting for my cue, my, my bad. Um, uh, we got handouts coming right to your seat. Um, but his thought is that uh, if we were to take a quick survey, that if we looked all across this room, that we would say that about one-third of us are in what we call a storm of life. We're experiencing a pain, a loss. We're experiencing some disenfranchisement. We're, we're disappointed. We've got things that are happening in our life. One-third of us, if we were to take 33%, the magic 33%, of us, statistically speaking, because we're all about the statistics today, um, is that a third of us would be in a storm. And if we were to take uh, the same survey, we would find, just like Family Feud, that the second answer would be that one third of us are just coming out of a storm. One third of us are coming out of a storm. Okay, that seems about right. So we've got 33% of us are in a storm. Another 33 point, what is it, three percent of us are coming out of a storm, which means that the last one third of us are just about to enter a storm. So if you feel like things are great, well, praise God, it's about to get better. Um, it's not very encouraging, uh, statistically speaking, when you're just looking at the numbers, it's not very encouraging, uh, but I think it's pretty close to the truth. It's pretty close to the truth. So I don't know if it's, it's just me, but I, I've noticed that Anytime things start getting rough or getting rocky, it doesn't take very long before things start spiraling out of control. Whether it's for me, somebody I love, one of my fam uh, family members, friends, whatever. It just seems like when things really start you know, hitting the fan and it starts getting out of control, it just starts dropping off downhill really, really, really fast. And, and um, it just seems like there's a lot of stuff to deal with in life. It's like life is full of a lot of stuff, am I right? Like there's just a lot of stuff. Now, it, there's all sorts of different things. It could be a stage of life thing. It's like, you know, it could be diapers. You know, diapers are a lot to handle because directly connected to diapers and, and I know is that there's a, a lack of sleep. There's not a lot of sleep. And then there's directly connected to diapers and a lack of sleep is a lack of consciousness or, or cognitive thought because, you know, things aren't the same. So it's a stage of life. You're going, man, this is a lot for me to handle. And, and it's a lot for you to handle because you're covered in poop half the time. It's like it just gets really difficult and really hard. But maybe it's not that. Maybe it's you've got aging parents. And it's time to kind of move them out. Uh, they need some extra care. Maybe it's your grandparents, and, you, and you, know, you know you're not getting around to visit them enough, and, and you should be there, and you should be helping them more. This is my family. And it just starts to, starts to weigh on you. Maybe you've lost a family member or a close friend. Maybe there's marital challenges. There's struggles in your marriage. Maybe you know, you're working through depression or headaches or arthritis or you're alone. We'll pray for you later if you're alone. Or maybe you're afraid. But it seems like there's a, just a lot. There's a lot to deal with in life. 
Some of us even right now would say, hey, I would say that I'm hurting beyond what I can bear. And you feel like you just can't take one more thing. And it's at this point, at this very moment, when you just feel like you're about to snap, that inevitably a good Christian brother or sister comes and talks to you, generally over coffee, because that's what Christians do. And they come with that well-meaning, annoying Christian advice. You're about to rip your hair out of your head physically, because <laughs> you can't take it anymore. And someone comes and says, don't worry, don't worry. Hey, hey, it's a lot, but don't worry. When one door closes, God opens a window. To which you say, I live on the 12th floor. <laughs> so what are you suggesting that <laughs> what are you suggesting that God's opening a window? Because I don't really feel like that's of God. But that, that Christian advice comes and they say, hey, you know, because the truth is we don't know what to say in difficult situations. We don't know what to say, right? Like you, right, you've experienced it, like you don't, and people don't know what to say to you, and you don't know what to say to them. They come up with, you know, hey, don't worry, don't worry, Seb. God helps those who help himself. And they drop the mic and walk away. It's like, as if they just gave you the best piece of advice. It's like, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. No, it's not, Mom. Thanks. Let's move on. It's like they come up with these one-liners, these phrases, and the truth is, God didn't say that, so stop putting on me. But what we need to do as a community is learn that we don't just need to throw out these little thoughts, that we can actually walk with people through hurt. And sometimes silence is the best thing. Sometimes your presence is enough. That we don't have to grasp at straws to just say anything or something in that. If we just say something, maybe we should have considered saying nothing. Today I want us to look at the idea that God won't give me more than I can handle. Why don't we just say it together? Just stay the, say the false statement together. Just bring us together. Just say, God won't give me more than I can handle. All right, that was really bad, so we're going to try it one more time. Let's say, God won't give me more than I can handle. So let's just try it one more time. We're going to say, God won't give me more than I can handle. Now, here's the problem. God never said that. that you, could, you could say that, too. It's cool. It's this interaction thing that we like, we like to try out. But I believe that this, this idea or this thought, this misunderstanding just kind of came uh, it came from scripture, but it came from just like that moment where someone had misread it or they just kind of read into it. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It's on your sheets. If you're looking to fill in the blank, it's going to appear magically behind me. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is where it comes from. If you're trying to find out where the roots are, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. Amen? Amen just means I agree. So if, let's just try that one more time. God is faithful. Amen? All right. Wonderful. You're, you're Christians today. He will not let you... Be tempted beyond what you can bear. There's the distinction. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, because you will be tempted, he will also provide a way out. He will also provide a way out. That's where it comes from. That's where this thought that God won't... God won't give me more than I can have. No, God says you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. It says God is faithful. He's always going to provide a way out. 
He's always going to provide a way out. The Bible never actually says that God won't give you more than you can endure. It does say he won't let you be tempted. It does say he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But it never says that he won't give you more than you can handle. In fact, if you are to look in the Bible, you're supposed to just, you know, if we're just going to look and, and breeze through all of the Bible, the whole thing, this nice black book, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the word for me. Book for me? Is that what it is? Yeah. It's been a long time. If we were to do that, I think we'd find out that maybe that thought isn't, isn't true. I th I'm thinking about Judges, the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6. You can read it later. A guy named Gideon. Now, Gideon, uh, he, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's a great character in the story because Gideon was so scared of life. <laughs> he, if, I think Gideon is the biblical bubble boy <laughs> because he just he wanted to hide from the world. He was, so he would... He would you know, thresh his grain, and instead of doing that out in public or out in the place where they're on the threshing floor, he would go because he was so afraid of the pillagers that he would go and he would hide in the wine press because nobody who's looking for food for grain is going to go find the guy in the wine press. Now, if you're a, a, a Midianite, you're going to uh, basically pillage a village. I think you're probably going to head to the wine press first, so maybe there's some flaw in his logic. But he's hiding in this this wine press and he's just doing his work, and then he runs back home. He's that guy. Uh, you know when you're, you're a little kid and you're afraid of the dark and you're, it's time to go to bed and you got to run upstairs and the parents turn off your light and those kids just like take off like a bolt. It's like they just want to run so fast to get away. That's what Gideon was like every single time he was thresh, threshing the grain. He watches, 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 bolts. He just runs. And yet Gideon was called by God to lead his people against these people who were attacking the Midianites. And he was going to actually overtake them in battle. And God says, I'm not just going to lead you into a great military victory, but we're going to do it with like pots, clay pots. You're going to crush a whole army with clay pots. So God shows up to talk to Gideon and he says, Gideon, you're, you're a mighty man. You're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, hold on. I'm the least in my family. I'm the weakest in my clan. I don't have what it takes. I don't understand. I don't know if you understand, but I'm in the wine press threshing grain. I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm a coward. I don't have the tools. I have brothers. There's other military leaders. Now, God didn't tell him that he was going to lead him to beat a whole army using only like clay pots. It's probably a good idea. Uh, but God spoke to Gideon in that moment. And God wants to speak to us in the same way that he spoke to Gideon. He wants to tell us that I know who you are. You think you know who you are, but you have no idea. I know who you are because I put together, I put you together. I made you. I formed you. I crafted you with my bare hands. I was there when I put you together. I know what you can handle. I know what you're made of. So trust me when I come and I tell you you're about to do this. You're about to do something that I kind of know what I'm talking about. I think about Moses, and, and he, God shows up to Moses and says, it's time for you to lead my people. Moses says, but I, st I, st I, st I stutter. Moses stuttered. God says, well, you're the guy, so get over it. He says, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm not a good leader. In fact, I'm kind of a criminal. I'm on the run here. I don't know if you knew that. I'm on the run. God says, no, no, you're the guy. You're the guy. And Moses gets into it, and he leads the people out. And then in the middle of the desert, Moses has this con candid conversation with the Lord where he says, Lord, I cannot take these people anymore. <laughs> they are wearing me out. These are the worst people. I mean, I love them, but I hate them. <laughs> I don't have what it takes. 
I think about Esther. You can find her in the book of Esther. And she was, became queen. And her, there's a genocide that was about to be carried out on her people. They were about to be wiped off the face of the earth. And there's only one person who could save the Israelites. Notice I said only one person because God cannot be saved. There's only one person that was, God wanted to use Esther. And Esther said, listen, I'm afraid. If I go to the king and he doesn't call me, he can just chop off my head. We know what happened to the last one. It's why I'm here. <laughs> Think about David. The King David. This is what he said in Psalm 38, verse 4. When the weight of his sin caught up to him, he said this. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. My groans come from an anguished heart heart. Sounds like somebody who's in a little too deep. I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now we would think that there's no greater feeling in life. Does this keep cutting out? Yeah. To accomplish or to fulfill the calling on your life. Now Jesus Christ understood what was about to happen. But as he's praying, as he's about to fulfill the greatest accomplishment in the history of the world where he's going to go die on the cross. Now, when he was dying on the cross, he went, he was, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 14, and he's praying, and he's praying, he's saying, Lord, if there, listen, if there's any other way that we can do this thing, I'm willing to kind of explore these options, because what God called him to, his father called him to do, was die on the cross in one of the most gruesome forms of execution in the history of the earth, so that was kind of terrible as a thing you know, in and of itself. So you can understand why Jesus is saying, hey, Lord, if there's any other way, maybe we can negotiate here. There's some room uh, for me to fulfill my destiny in other ways because nobody wants to go through that physical anguish. Now, just imagine that on top of that is piled on you the weight of the entire world, every sin, every moment of condemnation, everything of shame for the entire realm of history from yesterday, today, and forever was just added on top to the most excruciating way to die ever recorded, one of the most. You could imagine that maybe Jesus would be feeling a little stressed, a little overwhelmed. Matthew 14, Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Just turn to your neighbor and say, uh-oh. Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is literally on his knees by a rock. At least that's what the picture of my grandparents' living room portrayed. <laughs> and he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's literally sweating and weeping drops of blood because his body and his mind is so aware of what sits in front of him. Could you imagine if Peter would have strolled up and said, hey, Jesus Christ Almighty, when God closes one door, he's going to open a window. Jesus Christ would have said, be gone. <laughs> And he would have ripped his ear off. <laughs> we look at the Bible and we find that the Bible is full 
It's full of people who found themselves in situations that were more than they could bear. More than their natural bodies could understand. More than they could even come to terms with. Today, many of us feel like we're underweight and that there's pressure in our life and that we don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes to make it through. We feel like, even like Jesus, where we feel this sorrow that's overwhelming us almost even to the point of death. It's like, man, I don't think I can live even another day, another two days, another three days, because this is just getting so overwhelming for me. You would even feel like, you would say, man, God, if this is what's in front of me, number one, I don't know if I can trust you, and number one, number two, I don't know if I'm even going to survive the next month or next month or the next year, because if this is how things go, I don't think I want any part of this. I'm going to take another path. Well, today I want to talk about or look at two different thoughts of why God will occasionally allow you to have more than you can handle. Most encouraging message of all time. Am I right? Like, no. Now, I want us to also realize that if you're going through something, if you're in that one-third of the storm or you're in the other one-third who's coming out of a storm, and you should write this on your page, I just want you to write down, I'm in good company. I'm in good company. I gave you like four people, five people in the Bible. Can I tell you that on every page, in every chapter, you will find people who went through things that they thought, when they were living through it, they said, man, this is more than I can handle. You need to know that you're not alone. You're not the only person who's going through it. You're not the only person who's struggling. In fact, uh, the other thing that you need to know is that God doesn't want to punish you. I was at a wedding. Uh, I did a wedding a few weeks ago, and, and one of the groomsmen, he came up to me. He's like, man, I'm surprised I'm not burning up <laughs> because he's not a believer, and he's in a church, and he felt really uncomfortable about it. And sometimes what happens is that we think that because we haven't lived a certain way or we don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, that all he wants to do is turn around and, and punish us. So when you're walking without Jesus, and I'm talking to everybody who's listening online as well, when you're walking without Jesus, you're tempted to say, oh man, stuff's happening, God's punishing me. Now here's the crazy thing, when you walk with Jesus and you start going through things, what's the thought that comes through your mind? Oh man, what did I do? I must have not done something right. I must have not given enough to church. I must have not have enough faith. I might not, must not be a good Christian. God must be punishing me for something. Now here's the truth. God is not punishing you. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not in trouble. <laughs> I'm not. Now turn to your other neighbor, your second choice, and say, you're not in trouble. Turn back to your first choice and say, you're maybe in trouble. <laughs> just kidding. Nobody's in trouble. God is not out there punishing you, and he's not punishing you with the circumstances of your life. Jesus went and he fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6, and something incredible happened at the end of that meal, at the end of lunch. The disciples went up, and they started picking up. You can find it in John chapter 6, 13. We're not going to go there on the screen. You can just read it later. Story time with Jesus. The disciples went and they picked up 12 doggy bags, full meals ready to go, leftovers. Jesus didn't just provide for everybody else. He provided for them. And they started, they were kind of missing the whole point. They're having a conversation on the boat as they were cruising. They didn't know they were about to get into a crazy storm. Um, they're the one-third going into the storm. And Jesus has these leftovers. 
He says, guys, you're just missing the point. You're missing the idea. The truth is nothing in your life is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Doesn't, the pain that you're going through is not wasted. And the underlining truth is that there's always a redemptive principle. There's always a redemptive storyline in your life. If you have Jesus Christ in your life, he's always working these th things together for your good. Now, if you're called, if you love God, you're called according to his principle. We're going to get there later, Romans 8. But there's a redemptive thing here. And I need you to know that the stuff that you're going through right now is not going to be wasted. That the experiences that you've gained, these moments, the, these things, it's, 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 not, it's not worth nothing. Here's the first thing. Why would God allow us to have more than we can handle? The first response, if you're taking notes, is that I believe that there are times that Jesus wants us to depend on his presence. He wants us to depend on his presence. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone to the gym. Uh, clearly, it's been a while for myself. Um, am I right? Uh, anyway, when you go to the gym, I used to have a trainer. And when you go to the gym, every time, every time you go with the trainer, it's literally the worst thing ever because they always push you beyond where you want to go. So you're there and you're pushing weights and you're you're just pumping the iron and you're getting you're getting jacked up and you're you're pushing the trainer's like, all right, three, two, one, they're counting down. You think you hit that last one, and then they say those famous words. Just give me two more. Just give me two more. And you look at them and you say, My God, my soul is crushed to the point of death. The same words of Jesus. I'm basically sweating blood over here. I can't give you two more. And you go, and you make grunting noises because that's what you do when you're trying to really push out the last couple ones. And you, you push them up, and then the trainer says, hey, awesome, good job. The problem is every time you do that, you're, you're, you're creating more reps for yourself later. Every time you accomplish it. But the truth is the trainer is looking at you from a completely different angle. They're standing above you. They're watching the way that your body is responding to that way. So even though they understand and it feels like you're at the very end, they can see that inside of you, you've got something else. The truth is your trainer believes in you more than you believe in you. That's true. And so they're looking at you and they say, oh, well, he doesn't, Matt doesn't have the shakes yet. <laughs> he doesn't have the shakes yet. So we can pull out, we can pull out three more times. And so you push those three more things. The truth is when things are going good in our lives, in our lives, we don't need Jesus. No, we don't. That's not true. Except that's how most of us tend to exist. When things are going good, things are going good. So we'll go through our routine. You know, we might even still come to church. We might do all those things. But you know that intensity, that urgency, isn't there because you know things are going good and things are nice and it's, it's going well. But the truth is, when things get rocky. Let us pray. <laughs> or you say things like, man, I think I've tried everything. I'm just going to pray. Okay, you're just going to talk to the creator of the universe. Not a big deal. Have you ever been in a flight with insane turbulence, crazy turbulence? Now, here's what generally happens that I've experienced. And I've got an interesting experience because every time I fly with somebody, you know, I try and have a little conversation. And uh, it always leads to, so what do you do? And then... I'll generally say, well, I'm a pastor, to which either they stop talking to me completely, they wrap up the conversation where I say, okay, great, you have a great flight. I'm just going to put these, where's my headphones, going to put these in. Or we get into a conversation where they become instant super Christians, 
It's like, oh, praise Jesus Christ Almighty. My God, this plane's going to take off. We're going to fly on the wings like eagles. Can I get an amen in here right now? We're going to rise up. They have a revival in their seat, and you're like, who are you? What just happened to you? Or they just want to ignore you. And uh, so I have a, a pastor friend. He ended up sitting next to this lady, and he said, hey, you have this conversation. Uh, what do you do? Oh, and, and you are tempted to be like, kind of skirt the issue while I help people. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, I'm a pastor. And she says, okay, great. Here's the rules. Um, I don't believe that, so you aren't going to convert me on this flight, okay? <laughs> All right. So he, he looks at her and says, fine. Agreed. I am not going to try and convert you on this flight. So they end up having a pretty nice, you know, casual conversation. It's great. Things are going well. All oh, well, all of a sudden, they hit turbulence and like the kind of thank you, Jesus, I'm about to go home uh, kind of turbulence. And things get really rocky and gets really bumpy. And, you know, the normal response for people who even aren't Christians, they just start praying. Uh, they didn't even know they could speak in tongues until that moment. It's like, it's an incredible thing. They're just like, oh, my God, we're going to die. You know, you start, your life is flashing before your eyes. You're like, did I sign that will before I left? Uh, oh, man. Uh, so you're just having this moment. They start praying. And, and so this Pastor Craig, he looks over to this, to this lady and says, do you believe yet? She says, no. But if you're praying, you can always throw one up my way. <laughs> you know, uh, because we get into these crazy moments and, and we just want to do our own thing. But when things get really rocky, it's like, okay, well, no, I'm not going to believe yet. But hey, if you're praying, it's not going to hurt to maybe cover all my bases. I want us to think about Jonah for a minute. Because Jonah is kind of this way. Now, Jonah was a prophet. Prophet of the Lord, Lord would speak to him often. And so generally, kind of prayers that Jonah would pray is like, Lord, speak to me. And then the Lord would speak to him and he would relay these messages to the king. So the Lord calls Jonah to Nineveh. So, the, so Jonah's praying. He's going, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. And the Lord's saying, Nineveh, 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 Nineveh. And Jonah's saying, no, 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 no. But Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. And the Lord's saying, Nineveh. He says, no, I'm not going to Nineveh. So he just goes the entire different direction because the logic is I can hide from God, clearly. So he starts running a whole different direction and he, he just starts living in rebellion and doing his own thing because he goes, hey, the grass is greener over here and I can outrun God. And, and it, it's totally fine. And I think that's how some of us live often, is that we say, God, speak to me. Give me direction. Speak to me. Give me direction. Help me. Help me. Help me. And he says, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you say, no, 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 no. I'm going this way, not this way. No. And so then we find out that life starts spiraling out of control. And we find ourselves in the same situation as Jonah. On your notes, Jonah 2, verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. In my distress, if you know anything about Jonah, he was getting eaten by a giant whale. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. Here's the point. Sometimes Stuff happens. Sometimes it happens because we make choices where God speaks clearly and we do like Jonah and we just roll out the other way because we always know better than the Lord who created the whole universe. And sometimes you just find yourself 
in a world where things have just collapsed around you? Wasn't any fault of your own? You just find yourself in a moment where life is really hard. And you start saying, hey, where's God? Where's God in the midst of this? Where's Jesus? Where's, where's my provider? Where, where's my healer? Where's my hope? Where is he? Where is he? And we start getting angry because things aren't working out. We start getting mad at God. We start saying, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Take that moment and call on Jesus. Instead of saying, God, where are you? Start saying, Jesus, come in this place. Because can I tell you that you can never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence Jesus. You can never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of Jesus. You say, man, if only Jesus was with me. Uh, just think about the disciples who were in the midst of a storm. What was Jesus doing? He was asleep because when God calls you somewhere, when he's got a plan or he's got a purpose for you, he already knows you're going to reach the destination. So he's just chilling, taking a nap because he knows that this thing is not going to overcome you. Now, here's the incredible part. When you wake him up, when you say, hey, 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 dying here, about to drown, he says, no worries. Please be still. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. It's in your notes. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. James 4 says, draw near the Lord and he will draw near to you. So what do I do when I'm in the midst of this stuff? I'm going to depend on the, on the presence of Jesus that he's with me in the midst of the storm. I'm going to call on him. The truth is many of us want to live on the mountaintop all the time. We never want to come down. We just want to live up there. Can't we just live like with Jesus on wings like eagles and just, you know, just fly and have a great time with Jesus? But the truth is, just like in music where there's dynamics where it gets louder and it gets quieter and it gets softer and then it comes down and it comes back up and that creates interest. Our lives have mountaintops and they have valleys. And the truth is, I would rather live with Jesus in the valley than be by myself on the mountaintop. Here's the second thing because time is fleeting. Why would God allow me to experience more than I can handle? Number two. To teach you to experience his presence. Sorry. Experience his power. Seb corrected me. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul is crying out. It says three times Paul cried out. He had this thing called the thorn in the flesh. Which we don't know what it is. Some say it's his eyesight. Some say it was his hip socket. He had a limp. There's all sorts of theories about what it is. Paul never told us what it was, and maybe, maybe we should be grateful that he didn't because it could have been a weird medical thing. Uh, but we know that he cried out three times. Now, him crying out three times wasn't, Lord, take it away, number one. Lord, take it away, number two. Lord, take it away, number three, in one service. What the connotation here in Scripture actually means was there was three dedicated seasons that Paul set aside that probably included fasting and prayer, anyone, anywhere from 7 to 21 days, maybe even up to 40, where people set aside time. Now, remember, Paul was an apostle to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It could have even been that the entire network of churches was setting aside time to pray for Paul. That's the connotation here when it says, I called out to the Lord three times. So he gets into this crazy season of praying 
praying, praying three times they did that and still it wasn't a way. And this was the epiphany that Paul had. But he being Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in, in, my, uh, in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There are times when you're going through things, you're going through stuff, and it's the worst. It's just, it is the worst, and I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And it doesn't seem like any answer is coming. And you spent time praying and wrestling with it and struggling with it. You say, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? How come you're not here? How come you're not fixing it? How come you're not making this better? And Jesus whispers into the stillness and the quiet. He says, in your weakness, I am made strong. Because nothing's wasted. Maybe your story, your difficulty, your triumph in living full of faith in Jesus Christ is going to help somebody else come out of their struggle because they see the way that you live. They see the way that you handle it. They see the way that you still walk with faith and walk with courage. Can I tell you that even though it hasn't happened now, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen at some time. But the truth is, everything, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that everything is made beautiful in God's time. So we don't have to worry about the timeline. God's got it, especially if I'm calling on him. But what we can do is in the moment, in the difficulty, in the trial, in the pain, we can say, Jesus, I need to experience your power. And if you start working and walking and living in that, it's incredible, the healing, the restoration that starts coming in your own life because you're like, wow, I'm not living anymore. Why? Because Jesus looks into the depth of your soul. He says, I created you for more than this. This is not going to take you out. Come on, son. Come on, daughter. Give me one more. Give me two more. Give me three more. I know you can do it. And you start walking in Jesus' power instead of your own. And the moment you start walking into it, doors start opening, opportunities start coming, windows are opening. It's a strange thing. Because now it's no longer about me. See, the longer I stay wrestling with my thing, the longer I make it about me. The quicker I give it to Jesus, the quicker his redemptive storyline begins. The truth is that we're created to need him. I'm created to need Jesus. This was always about relationship. It was always about doing it together. He will give you more than you can handle. Maybe said in a better way, you will walk into situations that are more than you can handle. But when Jesus calls you to do something outside yourself, he will give you more than you know what to do with. He will give you the answer. He'll give you the solution. He'll give you strength because you, you were made to do this together with Jesus. It brings us back to this dependency and this relationship that brings me back. The truth is, if you're going to be a foster parent, there's going to be moments where there's more than you can handle. 
If you're going to raise teenagers, <laughs> there will be more than you can handle. If you're going to be invested in a ministry or a church, there's going to be more than you can handle. If you're married to a, if you're a man that's married to a woman, or a woman married to a man, it's called marriage. There's going to be more than you can handle. You are not created to do life by yourself. You're not created to do life on your own. Jesus is faithful. When we call, he answers. When I'm in trouble, he comes in my most desperate times. Now, his answers aren't always my answers because he's not a cosmic Coke machine. <laughs> Corey Ten Boom said this, until Jesus is all you have, you'll never realize that he's all you need. Until Jesus is all you have, you'll never realize that he's all you need. Why don't we stand together? This is Romans 8, 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us. That's right, the Holy Spirit prays for you with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. In the midst of our weakness, the third person of the Trinity is praying for you. And when we know that, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them.